It's a regular VanCast. It's an emergency VanCast. It's everything rolled into one. J-Pat here in Montreal. Rancer is in Vancouver. we got the country covered, and we've got you covered with the latest Canucks talk on a fascinating trade deadline day that, man, it started slowly for the Vancouver Canucks, but boy, did it pick up as the clock counted down to noon Pacific. Rancer, uh, I can't speak to the mood in the media room in Vancouver because we were all at the Bell Center watching the Canucks practice. Fairly uneventful. They had come and gone, and packed their bags and were off and out of the building uh, well before the deadline came down. But uh, again, as uh, time ticked away there, that's when things exploded uh, on the Vancouver Canuck front here on this trade deadline day. Yes, it was shortly after the run on the craft services table for sandwiches when the Canucks front office really started to clam up and texts were not returned to anyone, it seems, but Patrick Johnston and, and credit to our province sports colleague, a, a good friend of mine, he was way ahead of the biggest story in the Pacific Division at the deadline, I think, including, you know, the Leonard trade and some of the deals that the Edmonton Oilers made to improve themselves. But it seems Jacob Markstrom got injured in the Boston game, flew to Montreal. The hopes were that he was fine, but an MRI on Monday uh, in Montreal uh, has resulted in a bit of a change of plans. The Canucks go out and acquire journeyman Louis Deming right at the deadline and Markstrom will fly back to Vancouver tomorrow according to Jim Benning meet with Canucks medical staff on Wednesday and be further evaluated but it looks like a three to four week timeline is certainly realistic and you know that's really tough news for a Canucks team that's leaned extremely heavily on their starter who's been at an all-world level throughout this season and, and really over the past 15 months. Well, let's hear from the general manager in his own words, and then we'll come back and we'll get into uh, the injury, the ramifications, and all of this moving forward. But this was Jim Benning shortly after the trade deadline on uh, the news of the day with his goaltenders. It's a lower body injury. Um, he, you know, he woke up the next day, felt okay. He flew to Montreal. He, we went and he did an MRI this morning. Um, he's flying back tomorrow going to meet with our doctors Wednesday morning and we'll have a better timeline after that the report that it could be three to four weeks is can you see that at all it could be like I don't know we don't know for sure yet how long it's going to be but like I said he's flying back tomorrow going to meet with our doctors Wednesday morning and we should have a better timeline like Wednesday afternoon late Wednesday what's your level of concern at Jim with with the season and the, and the schedule that you have ahead of you in March well, we've been, you know, we've been working with Thatcher Demko now for a year and a half, and this is, you know, he's played good goal for us. We, our team has confidence in him. This is an opportunity for him to, you know, step in and, and you know, play like he's played for us all year. So, um, you know, it's not a perfect situation, but it's, it's you know, it, it is what it is, and it's going to be a great opportunity for Thatcher. You go for Louis Domingue, um, but Robert Lehner also moved roughly at the same time. Was there any interest there? Um, we, you know, we've been taught. We were talking uh, on the Domingue thing all morning. Um, it made sense for us to, you know, do that. We gave up uh, saying McIntyre for Louis. Uh, Louis has experience. He's, you know, in the league and he's played well. We, um, you know, we were really weren't in on the Leonard thing, no. Back up while Markstrom is out? Yes, he's flying into Montreal. We haven't done, we're still in the queue on the trade call, but we got the trade call done here and then he'll fly into to back up uh, Thatcher tomorrow. 
There you go. Jim Benning at the podium at uh, Rogers Arena shortly after the trade deadline. Uh, sort of three components to get into. Uh, let's start with Markstrom, though, and the loss to the hockey club. You know, I, I do wonder, half seriously, if uh, he got hurt on the David Pasternak goal the you know, that turned him inside out uh, early in the game against Boston on Saturday. But, you know, it's strange because he finished the game aside from missing the two minutes there where he got the Danton Heinen high stick in the, in the eye. But, and I can't remember if you were in on him post-game, like Markstrom came out, he met the media, no undue delay. Uh, he was in a good mood. He was joking about... Uh, you know, what went on in Toronto with the emergency backup goaltender and sort of held court with the media, seemed to be in a great mood, wasn't, you know, didn't look like a guy that was trying to hide anything from us. And so there was no apparent injury, at least to the naked eye. But uh, as Jim Benning said, Markstrom flew to Montreal with the team, started to experience some issues, got the MRI here, and now on his way home. I mean, uh, a blow for him, obviously. We know that it's been a tough year uh, on the personal side with the loss of his father, and he's just been such a, a, a heroic piece of this puzzle for the Canucks to play through all of that at the level he has. You know, in my mind, hands down the MVP, and... You know, whether it's three weeks, four weeks, who knows where it goes. But, uh, man, I mean, let's be honest, it just it flat out sucks for Jacob Markstrom that at this time of the year, uh, this happens to him. It flat out sucks for Jacob Markstrom, and it flat out sucks for a Canucks team that's leaned maybe too heavily on him. Not only has his workload been through the roof, right? He's one of 14 goaltenders in the NHL this season who started at least 40 games, but... You know, I think he's papered over to some extent some of the defensive issues the club has had occasionally and maybe not even occasionally like defensive issues the club has had, period. So, you know, and then losing him right before this stretch, I think I count 19 and 35. Jeff, is that you're the guy who always knows those. So starting tomorrow, 19 games in 35 days. And that's going to be a really heavy workload on Thatcher Demko. He started 18 so far, but He's never played more than 46 in a season in his professional career. And now, in you know, looking at this very dense schedule, this sort of young goaltender who's, you know, not been a workhorse really to this point in his career is going to be sort of thrust into it. Uh, you know, you, you add sort of the durability issues that Demko's occasionally sort of run into. And, you know, we're looking at a, a pretty tough situation for the Canucks all told. And, and they get Louis Domingue, and this is a guy who's faced nearly 4,000 shots at the NHL level and, and has sort of been replacement level. Uh, you know, he was certainly a guy who won a lot of games in Tampa Bay, but behind a dynamic offense that felt, I think, internally, like they had to outscore his issues. And, you know, that's, I mean, he's got, a, assuming the three to four week reports coming out of TSN 1040, Uh, are accurate you know and we won't know until sort of later this week the Canucks won't even know but assuming that's sort of roughly what we're looking at here you know Domingue could play five to six games and you know that's just going to be a tall order especially in a Pacific division that's as compressed as it is and especially with the schedule as compressed as it is I mean this is really pretty close to a worst case scenario I think for the Canucks yeah, I mean, look, this is the start of a, a four-game and six-night road trip with back-to-backs at the back end, Toronto on Saturday, Columbus on Sunday. You would think right now that Sunday would be Louis Domingue's debut. Uh, then the Canucks come off the road. They're at home for, I think it's four. Uh, but then they go back out on the road, back-to-back Arizona-Colorado. You know, Colorado is an absolute beast at home. Um 
And then later in the month, there are two other back-to-backs in the month of March. One of them is the Southern California double dip. So there's no travel there. I mean, we have seen uh, the Canucks ride Jacob Markstrom in similar situations. Thatcher Demko, uh, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. But then there's, you know, a a back-to-back at home as well, which is rare. But, you know, the last two back-to-backs in the month of March, there's no travel in between. And so, you know, we'll see how that impacts uh, Travis Green and his decision-making and where Jacob Markstrom is in his recovery. Uh, But for the here and now, there's no doubt about it. It's Demko time for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, they you know, I think most of the season have truly believed that they have an edge in goal on most of their opponents. And, you know, you made the point earlier, and I think it's been a talking point uh, at times throughout the season, you know, were they relying too heavily on Jacob Markstrom? And I get where Travis Green's coming from. I mean, the guy is just totally dialed in. He's delivering wins left and right. How can you go away from him? But now you've got Thatcher Demko, who has started two of the last 11 hockey games for the Vancouver Canucks, hasn't seen much action And you do wonder if, in hindsight, you know, they would have benefited from getting him a few more starts here along the way just so that he is game-ready and sharp and prepared to go because his last start, and he didn't get a lot of help from his teammates, but that was that 5-1 loss at home to Anaheim, a forgettable night all around. Uh, He's got to be better than he was that day. And as we said, like, it's not just a one-off anymore. He is the guy. It's Thatcher Demko time for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and, you know, this podcast was slightly delayed in its starting because I I got a call from Canucks head coach Travis Green, and he said, uh, in regards to the news, you know, uh, presumably there was a sigh, although I didn't note it down, Uh, and then he added, how many times have I said it? I trust Thatcher. Jacob's a big loss, but I've got a lot of faith in both our goalies. I'm excited for Thatcher that he'll get the ball for a bit. So, you know, that sort of echoes what we heard Jim say uh, earlier when we went to his audio, you know, and to some extent, I guess the Canucks can use this perhaps as an opportunity to evaluate Demko's overall readiness, especially as they, you know, not only enter sort of a crucial stretch run for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in five years, but also, you know, an off season in which they'll be negotiating a possible Markstrom extension, right? And sort of looking at, you know, whether or not maybe the time is right to begin to consider shopping one of their goaltenders or, or moving on from one of their goaltenders in the event that, you know, expansion concerns become top of mind and, and something they sort of want to get out ahead of. So, you know, there is an element to which I'm sure the organization's keen to see how Demko performs here. But, you know, at this time of year and with what the team's achieved to this point, like the bottom line is that they want to win enough to get in the playoffs and, you know, Demko's been really good this year when he's been in. It's just that Markstrom's been superhuman. And when you remove that from the equation, like, I don't think the Canucks are going to have to play as tight as Carolina did in front of David Ayers the other night. But there's certainly an element to which, like, in in terms of the players in front of their goaltender here, I, I think the onus does sort of ratchet up to clean up the game, clean up some of those mistakes, and, and make sure that they're doing everything they can for Deming and Demko to have some success. You're right. And like, it's funny to think of that in terms of like a silver lining, but you know, if it can help this group focus and, 
you know, there is something to be said about the way Carolina tightened up in front of a, a Zamboni driver. Uh, it's not that extreme for the Vancouver Canucks, but you do wonder if maybe this is a little bit of a wake-up call uh, just to, you know, as many people in the market have been saying. Like, they've got to be better in front of their goaltenders. Uh, now would be a perfect time. You know, this is a road trip that... Uh, Maybe comes at a good time for the Canucks. I mean, Montreal was selling off assets. The Ottawa Senators, are they going to be in business by the time the Canucks get there uh, on Thursday night? Like, just, you know, f- close up shop and leave the two points on the doorstep. <laughs> They're uh, going to ice a first line, Jeff, that's that consists entirely of 2020 draft picks or dra- like first round picks. <laughs> exactly. That's it. <laughs> Left wing, right wing, center. Now, the Canucks can't afford to, you know, take those games for granted. Look, Detroit has risen up and beaten the Boston Bruins a couple of times this season. Uh, So, you know, task at hand, obviously, for the Canucks. But there are points to be had here on this road trip. And certainly, you know, they kind of ease into it. And we talked about the back half, which is uh, back-to-back games on Saturday and Sunday. So they can't worry about the weekend to come. It's uh, really a focus on the Montreal Canadiens. But, you know, the Habs did sell off uh, some pieces. Obviously, they're not as strong today as they were yesterday. And so uh, it's a gettable game at the very least. But uh, the Canucks have to get out there and get the job done. And then I reference uh, the Anaheim game, you know, on home ice. Like That was set up for the Vancouver Canucks. And obviously, they fell flat on their face there so uh, they should probably uh you know keep that uh, in the rearview mirror and just uh, let it serve as a little bit of a reminder that you know even against the lesser lights you, you still have to show up and, and play better than they did that afternoon against Anaheim I don't want to get too deep in this but you love all the nuances of uh, sort of the the capology of all this what was in this deal for New Jersey like I kind of feel like New Jersey should have held the Canucks over a barrel like, if they knew that Markstrom was injured in any way, why would they just take a a minor league goaltender in return? Yeah, I think the major reason, you know, and it comes down to for a team that's selling off, that's going to miss the playoffs, that's retaining salary in a variety of trades to make sure that they get some assets, as they did in the Wayne Simmons deal, uh, you know, Louis Domingue's on a one-way contract valued at 1.15, and Zane McIntyre is on a two-way contract valued at a third of that, at 400K. And so my guess anyway is that the Devils agree to the deal just to save some money and because they probably don't see there being a significant difference in terms of their minor, minor league affiliate in the performance level offered by Domingue and that offered by Zane McIntyre. So... You know, overall, I'd sort of look at that as just a simple, you know, matter of of dollars and cents. And if a team's willing to eat, uh, you know, the salary that the Devils were paying Deming over over the last, you know, 40 days of the regular season, uh, you know, I, I think they were just happy to get off some money. It won't be much. I mean, we saw with the cap savings involved uh, with the Montreal Canadiens and Washington and Ilya Cole. I mean, there's 20 games to go. So, I mean, I imagine every dollar does count, but uh, it can't be a a massive saving for the New Jersey Devils. Uh, I want to just hear again from Jim Benning here because there was so much talk about Troy Stetcher. There was so much talk in the market about Tyson Berry, Wayne Simmons, whatever the case. Uh, The Canucks end up standing pat other than this Louis Domingue deal, which was brought about out of necessity. Uh, so now we know what the Vancouver Canucks look like. They made their big splash last week with Tyler Toffoli and last year at the draft with JT Miller. Uh, here's the general manager on his team here moving forward now down the stretch trying to lock down a playoff spot for the first time in five years. 
Well, like I've said all along, I really like our group. I, I like the team. I like the players. I like the chemistry of the group. Um, you know, we tried to address, like, losing Brock there. We tried to address going out and getting Tyler Toffoli to, to make up for some of that scoring, and he's shown to be a good fit so far. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is, like, you know, we gave up a first-round pick last summer to acquire you know JT Miller and and you know so we had him over the course of this whole year so um, I think last July 1st we were aggressive and you know signing some extra players and through injuries and stuff you know we've needed the extra players around and and so you know I'm I'm happy you know that we able to get Tyler Toffoli uh, and he's part of our group going forward I like our defense um, I like the depth of our team, so you know. Hopefully, we can keep playing hard and winning our share of games. There you go, general manager showing confidence in the group that he has put in front of uh, him and in front of Travis Green. And look, I mean, they have battled through some injuries. Furland, obviously, most of the season. Brock Besser here of late. They missed Alex Edler for ten games uh, in and around Christmas, and through it all. Uh, they have maintained their spot above the playoff bars. So, you know, this is another huge challenge for the Vancouver Canucks, but, uh, you know, I want to believe that Thatcher Demko can deliver enough goaltending that this won't derail their season. There's no guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs, but I'm still bullish on this team. I, I, I just think, you know, they've done enough. They continue to get help here and there on the out-of-town scoreboard. Uh, I still think that uh, this team is going to be among the top eight in the West uh, when the final whistle sounds on that uh, regular season on whatever it is april the 4th yeah and you know the the damian hechevaria like season ending sort of standings that he's he begins to post and they're nicely color-coded and it seems like something that's right up your alley jeff but well, one of my favorite things that he does and i like it but man is that like a reference that absolutely no one in the world other than you and me will get no, but but I'm going to tell VanCast okay, listeners, good. this is my public service announcement, okay, to good. look up Damien Hechevaria uh, on Twitter and check out. He'll be posting them daily or thereabouts for the rest of the season now, and, and he posted the first one the other day. And the really interesting thing that it captures is a tragic number, which is the amount of points gained by the teams ahead, in addition to those lost by the team to whom the tragic number references that will result in them being eliminated from the playoffs. And the Winnipeg Jets currently in ninth, their tragic number with, you know, and what they've played 63, I think. So 19 games remaining in the season is 36, right? So in order to make the playoffs, that's sort of just a quick, quick and dirty barometer. The Canucks need to gain 36 points over their ninth place opponent, whether by that team surrendering them in losses or shootout losses or overtime losses or by gaining them themselves in wins or, you know, one-point games. So the fact is is that the Canucks have a cushion here, and it might only look like a three-point cushion. Like, the Canucks are in third in the Pacific if you look at the standings, but they're actually in second by point percentage behind only Vegas, and even then the, the margin's very thin. The Canucks have built themselves a larger cushion than it appears – and I think that's going to be important for them because it's possible that they're going to need it. They're going to need to play well. They're going to need to win these games. They have to win. And that begins on Tuesday night against Montreal and Thursday night against Ottawa. But, you know, they remain in the driver's seat here. And, you know, I don't know that the loss of Markstrom should be so significant that it's, 
you know, it, it makes this dicier. It certainly reduces their playoff chances, but I don't think it's enough that we should look at the Canucks differently or look at their sort of playoff odds significantly differently. Like, this is still a Canucks team that's put themselves in position to qualify, and that should be the expectation. All right, so the Canucks, not terribly active, but again, you heard Jim Benning. He likes his hockey club, and you can understand why in the wake of uh, what we saw on Saturday night, which was just, it still doesn't fully compute with me that the Canucks laid the beatdown that they did on the top team in the National Hockey League. I spent most of Friday and Saturday building this thing up as, like, look out, you know, here come the big bad Bruins. It doesn't matter how you cut it statistically. You know, these guys are just off the charts good, and then the Canucks do that and do things that they haven't done in a quarter century, like scoring nine goals and, you know, Tuka Rask hadn't given up six in regulation in four years. Like, there were a lot of things that didn't make a ton of sense, but uh, sort of the perfect storm. The Canucks were rested. They had been at home uh, for two weeks. The Bruins, you know, the schedule caught up to them a little bit. I don't want to take anything away from what the Canucks did, though. I mean, they were full, full value uh, for the 9-3 win over the Boston Bruins. And I think, you know, one game can't affect a general manager's view of his hockey club, but I think it reinforced that, you know, when they're going and getting balanced scoring and they're led by, you know, Bo Horvat looking like a captain and that top line doing its thing. And, you know, I think, again, it just it reinforces the notion that hey, this team's all right. Like, they've beaten St. Louis a couple times. They've beaten Washington. They've beaten Pittsburgh. You add the Bruins now to this list. So Jim Benning stands pat aside for making the goaltending move, but... His colleagues around the Pacific Division certainly didn't. Uh, Ken Holland was active, bringing most of his former Red Wings with him to Edmonton. Uh, Vegas picks up Robin Lehner, which is an interesting move just because we always think that Marc-Andre Fleury is the guy in Vegas. But uh, that's a pretty solid one-two punch between the pipes for the Golden Knights. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What caught your attention around the division and the teams that, you know, ultimately the Canucks are battling with for this prized playoff spot? Well, it's hard not to read a lot into the Leonard acquisition. You know, Marc-Andre Fleury deserves the respect that he is provided around this league. He's been one of the most reliable, above-average starters in the sport over a very, very long period of time. And certainly has owned the Canucks, as we've noted many times, over a, you know, ridiculously long, like, generation-long stretch. And... So, you know, that that's one thing that caught my eye is that, you know, they upgraded in net and not just over Malcolm Subban, but by creating an alternative in case Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't find the form that A, he had in the first three months of the season, but B, you know, that he really hasn't since. And, you know, I do think the Leonard acquisition is insurance overall, but I don't just think it's insurance for a Fleury injury. I think it's insurance in the event that Flurry can't sort of find that level of performance that he's been at consistently. A, a really a reflection of, you know, just how, you know, and, and I want to choose the right word. I want to choose a respectful word here. But, you know, he hasn't been good enough for, for Vegas over the past three months. And that's a big reason why they're neck and neck with a handful of teams like the Oilers, like the Canucks, like the Calgary Flames, that objectively, just looking at their roster, I think we'd all agree uh, they're superior then. The Oilers uh, was you know interesting. I mean, they get Connor McDavid back last night, and he makes an immediate impact. And and you know that's the biggest acquisition, obviously, uh, that they could get. 
and didn't look like he had missed uh, a beat, you know, being out of the lineup for, I think it was six games. But uh, they pick up Mike Green late last night to shore up their defense, and then uh, they go in, uh, make a couple of moves up front as well. You know, you think of the Oilers, obviously, as a two-man team with uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, but, you know, sort of the second half of the season, they have... Uh, seen some increased production from some of their secondary scores. I think like a guy like Josh Archibald's into double digits. Uh, there are a few other guys that uh, have stepped up from time to time. But, you know, did the Oilers do enough to round out their lineup, you think, to uh, solidify their hold on a playoff spot? Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to the likes of Alex Chason and Riley Sheehan and, um, you know, Gaten Haas and on and on. But this is a team that's had... You know, Josh Archibald's played, like, nearly 700 minutes at 5-on-5, five five, right? Gaten Haas is over 500. Patrick Russell, like, I couldn't pick Patrick Russell out of a lineup, right? Right. He's at 480. Uh, so, when you think about the margins of replacing guys who are replacement level with guys who are credible NHL players in Tyler Ennis and especially Athanasiu. I mean, Athanasiu is a bit of a one-dimensional sort of scoring type player, but man, if he gets to play on a line with Connor McDavid, that's the fastest center winger duo maybe in the history of the sport. Like those two could compete in a speed skating relay. I feel like at a professional level, they're that fast. So when you replace some of those minutes with you know, minutes from more credible NHL guys, I mean, I think it can have a pretty big impact. And, and those margins, as fine as they might seem, are significant, especially at this time of the of the year and especially as you get into the playoffs. Because, you know, one or two additional points, right? One or two additional goals over the balance of the remaining 19 games or so. Uh, can make all the difference between three playoff home dates and none. And so I I really like what Edmonton did. I, I also, you know, thought for the most part, they managed to do it relatively affordably. We're breaking down the Canucks and what happened around them in the Pacific Division. Of course, our colleagues, Pierre Lebron and Scott Burnside, uh, they have two-man advantage, uh, another podcast here at The Athletic every week, and uh, certainly they will take a league-wide look at what went down in and around the trade deadline with the winners and the losers and everything else. So you can look for two-man advantage with Lebron and Burnside uh, here at The Athletic as well. Uh, anything else of significance? I mean, there was so much activity in the Eastern Conference. We know that that's where the balance of power lies in the National Hockey League this season. Uh, ultimately, only one team can come out of the East, though. So an arms race there, you know, doesn't really impact uh, the Vancouver Canucks and the other teams in the West. But uh, anything else around the league that uh, caught your attention? Well, obviously, the Carolina Hurricanes absolutely loading up with Brady Shea, Sammy Vatnin and Vincent Trocek, and I think this is just about the perfect scenario for a player like Vincent Trocek, uh, a winger or center, excuse me, who I know pretty well, but who right. I, I assume most of our listeners will just know off reputation. Uh, the way to think of Trocek, in my view anyway, is as a mini Ryan Kessler, and I mean that in terms of the positive side of it, his competitiveness, his physical assertiveness, his defensive awareness. And I also mean it from the negative perspective in terms of how he uses his line mates, right? And sort of how he can be a little bit tricky to play with, uh, depending on what type of player you are. And when I think about Carolina and I think about a player like Nino Niederreiter, who is, you know, a little bit inconsistent, but one of the better two-way wingers in hockey and, and plays 
especially away from the puck, almost like a centerman does in that they check all the way back to the net and sort of have that different kind of head on their shoulders. Kind of reminds me of an Eastern Conference version of Riley Smith, who was Trocek's best winger uh, during some of his his career seasons. So I look at that Carolina team and I think, boy, they got a lot better with a guy who is a credible top 40 centerman in the sport, signed for less than $5 million through 2022, and who I think there's reason to believe could be a uniquely good fit in their up-tempo system um, and, a, and a uniquely good fit on a second line with a player like Niederreiter. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of potential for them to absolutely clean up. And the fact that they were able to get that deal done without parting with a player like Nekash, who's, you know, just a dynamic centerman, younger centerman, uh, you know, the fact that they were able to do it for for a player like Walmart is sort of the centerpiece of that deal. I mean, I think that was an absolute steal for Carolina and, and one that could pay significant dividends, especially now that they've upgraded their blue line. Well, they're in a fascinating situation in the East. I mean, they got to get in first before they can make noise. But certainly these moves today uh, to bolster their roster, uh, you know, will certainly put them in a a position you would think to uh, make a bit of a, a charge here uh, down the home stretch and ultimately into the postseason. The Canucks in Montreal on Tuesday into Ottawa on Thursday. Uh, we'll catch up and do another VanCast later in the week, and we'll see how things fall for the Vancouver Canucks as uh, Thatcher Demko takes over as the main man uh, between the pipes. Make sure you rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com, Slash the VanCast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. I felt a little bit cheated, I have to admit. You guys, I saw pictures uh, were being fed in uh, the media room there in Vancouver. (laughs) Uh, Not much happening. I mean, the Habs practice at their practice facility in Broussard. There really wasn't much going on other than the the local media. We were forced to fend for ourselves here, I know. Uh, Crimea River. Yeah, I know. (laughs) At the Tim Hortons across the street? I don't know. Is there one? I didn't see one. I, there's, uh, there's one. It's in the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look tomorrow. I'll have my pregame meal there, perhaps. <laughs> no, no, no. Make sure to hit the make sure to hit the hot dogs and and make sure to ask Bo Horvat post game. He said he he told Jeremy Rutherford, our athletic colleague, that he'd never eaten one of the hot dogs at the Bell Center. Those hot dogs are legendary. Some might say overrated. Some might say iconic. But nonetheless, Bo Horvat had said he'd never had one. So make sure to ask him post-game if he, if he managed to get into one. All right. I will uh, endeavor to get to the bottom of uh, the hot dog situation with the captain. Oh, oh we also have to quickly note, Tim Schaller yes. cleared waivers, right? Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Good but call. was he reassigned? Not yet. Right. So but he was he think... was a healthy he was a healthy scratch against the Oilers. It is hard to add to your goal total from the press box at Staples Center. Right. And I think his average ice time is like seven so far since joining the Kings. So... Right. He was the low man. He was the low man in his debut, and he didn't figure in the scoring, and then uh, didn't play uh, last night against the Oilers. And, so it's and man, I, the, I, the hill is the hill is steep. Answer. Let's oh, just be I, honest. I, I'm going to lo- I'm going to lose. But as a, a man who likes to lose money and and gamble, uh, you know, I must say I don't really like to admit that I'm done until I'm done. So uh, I won't. But I will say this: I did threaten on Twitter to buy you a pack of thrills. I just yeah. wanted to be clear that that was that that was a joke. I would never stoop to such dubious lows. I'm a man of character, and and that's not how I go about it. But I will note that I did go to Costco 
And as we were leaving, I made the impulse purchase of one of those like in bulk large things of XL spearmint. Um, So I so I I got that and I was just thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I I almost want to take a photo and send it to Jeff, but I don't want to admit defeat. And also, I feel like it's very important that I actually buy you a distinct pack. Like I can't give you a bulk buy wholesale Costco pack of gum in a pack of 16 that I bought. Like, that's not fair. That's not right. We got to go. You got to. Yeah, you got to go. You got to pick it out yourself. Like it's got to be a thing. Oh no, it's going to be. It'll be an event. It will be filmed. You paying for it and Facebook Live. (laughs) It's my my win, my choice. I think was the hashtag that I was uh, using. Yeah, look, if I (laughs) I am going to revel in the glory of the bubblegum bet, (laughs) but not till the end of the season. So we have lots of time. But you're right. I don't want one of your bulk buys. From no. Costco. No. I want my choice. I want to peruse the selection. I may choose the <laughs> store. Uh, no, Super thing, fair. Yeah, exactly. So You know, I, I really do think you should put some effort in and see if there's some, you know, bespoke gum maker in Vancouver that sells, like, gum that has gold you know, whatever it is, that gold flake, that, like, edible gold in it costs, like, 15 bucks a pack. No, like, I, uh, if no, you are properly that's, evil, that's you should not do me. like, like that. I, I'm a pretty simple guy <laughs> when it comes to my gum, but I do want it to be my choice uh, for the victory. Right. I want to make sure that I get to do my victory lap uh, when it comes to the purchase of said bubble gum. So we're winding things down on the podcast. The season, obviously, <laughs> winding down, too. Uh, we will make it a big event, though, and uh, we'll continue to have some fun as we have. Uh, people seem very invested when Schaller got dealt. Like, that you know, oh, I know. Like I was a little surprised actually because uh, yeah, we've mentioned it on the podcast, but I kind of thought you know he had scored once since October that it was sort of was a foregone conclusion. But uh, people were very invested uh, the night that deal went down. So uh, the deal continues, but if he's not going to play, he's not going to score. And as I pointed out uh, when he was put on waivers, look, I extended you the courtesy of allowing the bet to continue uh, with him in Los Angeles. It does not continue with the Ontario reign of the of the uh, American Hockey League. No, uh, on that we are in absolute. I think we're in agreement across the board, despite uh, the occasional joke here and there. Um, you know, and and I'm just hoping that you know four empty net goals and a and a shorty or something ridiculous occurs. I, I you know I'm just not I'm not giving up yet, but I do love how invested people are to the point where when Schaller cleared waivers today. I had, and I counted them just out of curiosity, I had 25 mentions on Twitter. <laughs> people saying, like, oh, Dreads, he cleared. And I, and you know, I didn't I didn't own them all by saying, yeah, but was he reassigned? <laughs> but that's what I was thinking. Tim Schaller, gone, but certainly not forgotten, apparently. <laughs> Last five minutes of a trade deadline podcast. On there Tim you go. Schaller. We'll catch up with you uh, later in the go. week, Drancer. Uh, we'll push on without you. Yeah, I got harm out on the road. I'm taking good care yeah, of him. Yeah, take care of him. Good. You know, I, he was on my flight, and uh, we got him where he needed to go. He was at the rink today, and uh, uh, we'll make sure that everything's A-OK with uh, Boy Genius out on the road covering the Canucks <laughs> on this road trip. For Drancer in Vancouver, it's Jay Pat in Montreal. Uh, as always, thanks so much for listening to the Bancast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com.